Imagine if, now I don't know, you guys probably don't know my son. I've got two sons. Everett is like two and a half years old. He's a little scrawny kid because he was a preemie, but he's doing great. Don't worry. But imagine if I came home from work and, and I saw Josh in my house wearing Everett's shirt, like just like, like wearing his, his tiny like two and a half year old shirt. Uh, and it was like, hey, dad, what are we doing today? Right? Like I would be really confused, but I also wouldn't have ever thought he was my son, right? Like, I wouldn't, like, be like, Everett? Like, you know, like, I wouldn't, like, run up and give him a noogie or anything, Uh, at least not because I thought he was Everett. Uh, But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have ever, like, mistook him for my son, right? Like, the fact that he was wearing Everett's clothes would not have changed Josh's relationship to me, suddenly making him my child, right? And, 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 and I'd probably, I don't know if I'd even want the clothes back, but I would just be like, get, get out of my house? Like, what are you doing, right? Like, I'd be really confused. So, so that's one analogy. And then the other one we're looking at today is also, imagine if I came home and little Everett was wearing like a potato sack, you know, or, or like a wooden barrel like you'd see in the cartoons about like the depression, right? And I would like come home and I'd, I'd also be confused. Because Everett, why are you wearing that? Like, we've got all these clothes available. For, I, I bought you a wardrobe. Like, you've got way better stuff to wear. And, and the fact that he was dressed like that, it wouldn't have changed his status with me. Right? He still would be my son, even though he's, like, dressed like someone different. I don't know what he'd be doing, but, but he'd still be my son. And granted, I'd be confused. It wouldn't change our relationship, and I wouldn't be fooled about who he is. So I want to talk about this today because the passage we're reading in Colossians, uh, Pastor Ben covered one section last week about things that we have to put off, all right? Things that we have to, like sin that we have to put to death. The idea I want, I want you to think about is like things that we just shouldn't wear anymore, like just this isn't even good for us, all right? And, and today we're going to talk about things that we need to put on, right? Clothing or, or traits or characteristics or practices that are, are going to, to make us kind of represent ourselves in a way that we're actually walking in the position in the relationship we already have with God. But one of the things I want to point out first is that the relationship isn't changed based on the clothes that we wear. And the relationship isn't changed just because, right, we start doing these things. And not having a relationship with God yet uh, and trying to do those things or wearing like Josh wearing Everett's shirt isn't suddenly going to make that relationship and that connection with God happen. All right, so that's what we're looking at today in Colossians chapter 3. If you're interested in the Bible, uh, Joshua here, he'll help you out. Just shoot your hand up and you guys can take this home. It's a free gift to you. And uh, we're in Colossians chapter 3. And... Man, I was all over the place this week. We've had like technical difficulties. We were switching from Mac to PC and I, I was going to cover like five verses and then four and then three and then now it's, it's just one verse is all we're covering today. But God is good and, and we're, we'll, we'll hit the rest later. We got plenty of time, I, I think. Unless Jesus is coming back today, which he could. And that'd be great. That'd be great. So, uh, so either way, it's, it's win-win. Um, so, so Colossians 3... Verse 12, and it says this. Let's see, here we are. Uh, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So the first thing I want to point out is that God chose you, right? God has chosen you. The Bible actually says that God chose us from before the foundations of the world, all right? Like this has been God's long plan. He's been thinking about you forever, right? From eternity past, he was like, I can't wait to be with this person. I can't wait to be with you, right? God has chosen you, all right? And I don't want you to just think about this like, okay, yeah, like God chose, you know, you know the, the world or God chose the, the believers or God chose like the people that would receive him and adopt him into his family. But I want you to actually like personalize it to the point where God has chosen you, okay? Because Jesus put it this way. He said that the, the good shepherd would leave the 99 sheep to go find the one that went astray, all right, the way I see that is that, that Jesus would have chosen to leave heaven, come on earth, live, the, live his life, and die an agonizing death on the cross if there was only one person that would ever receive the forgiveness that he offers. Right? So if you were the only one, he still would have chosen to make that. All right? He, 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 he did the math and he's like, they are worth it. I'm giving my all for them so that I could have this relationship with them. So, so first of all, God has chosen you. All right, so that's, that's really cool. And I want you to realize it said put on then as God's chosen ones. So putting this stuff on, doing these things, doesn't make us chosen by God. It doesn't make us any more his or of his people or as his kids. It doesn't change that status. All right, like I was talking about with Joshua and Everett, right? Like him wearing these clothes doesn't make him a son, and, and Everett wearing something other than the right clothes doesn't not make him a son. All right, so we are God's chosen ones regardless of what we do with the rest of this verse. All right, so you're, if you're a believer in Jesus and your relationship in Christ is set, you've trusted in him for your salvation, then the following stuff doesn't change your status, right? It doesn't change your relationship with him. Now, the next thing he calls us is holy, I was, if I had asked you all to think of like one word that describes you, that probably would not have been anyone's word, right? Like no one's like, yeah, I'm holy. Like I, that describes me like, yeah, yeah, I'm holy. You know, like I don't go around introducing myself like, hi, I'm Brian. I'm holy in case you didn't realize. Like that's not something we think about because we attribute holiness to our actions, the things we do. All right, and, and that's what I want to point out is that holiness is the result of our position in Jesus. Holiness is the result of, of our relationship with God. It's not about whether or not you do these things because we're already holy and that's why we're doing these things. That's why the Bible is suggesting this. So, so we have been made holy and holiness is the result of Jesus' work all right, all that he's done for us, and, and we're credited with his righteousness. The Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, all right, that God looks at us the same way he would look at Jesus, which is just awesome, right, because it's not based on me trying to be good enough. So holiness is not the sum of, of our good deeds, because holy in its own nature, it, it, it has a, a purity with it. All right, that even like one thing done wrong would mean it's no longer holy. All right, one deed done wrong, one thought thought wrong would make me no longer in that holy category if it was based on my actions or my behavior. 
but we are already holy. And because of that, we can put on these things. So Christianity is, is not attempting to be good enough, right, to one day spend eternity with God in heaven. It's not about trying to be moral. And that's what I, I wouldn't want you to leave here today with like, here's a list of things I'm going to try to do because this would be good for me, right? Like, it's, it's not about a list. It's not about the law and trying to do everything right. That's not what Christianity is about. It's about receiving grace for the sins that we've committed and the free gift of salvation. It's just like, all right, thank you, Jesus. Like, this is awesome, right? I didn't even have to work for this. This is a really good deal. So, so don't think of this list as something like, I've got to just go out and do this stuff and my life will be better. It will be better, but it's not gaining you any additional favor or love from God. In fact, that's, that's the next word that he calls us. He says that we are beloved, To be beloved means that you are cherished, you are valued, all right? That means you are one who is greatly loved, and we are God's beloved, all right? We are the apple of his eye. We are just like, his complete joy is found in us. He just like looks upon us with such great love, and we already are that regardless of doing what the rest of this verse suggests. We are already in that that position, in that relationship. So, we are beloved by God. And I just want to point that out, that you can't get any more of God's love or less of God's love based on your actions. He, he loves us completely, right? He, he's not going to love us anymore. He's not going to love us any less as a result of us doing things better or, or, or our own failures. So, so, doing the following does not make us more holy, and it does not make us more beloved, and uh, because we are completely holy and beloved right now as believers in Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's just amazing, the deal that he gives us and the relationship that he offers us. And, and I just want to let you know, if, if you aren't yet someone that, you know, trusts in Jesus, or if you just think Jesus is, you know, maybe he was a good person or had some good ideas, you liked some quotes you read once, like, that's fine. Like, you're the reason that we're here. We welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. And we, we really want you to just continue seeking because the Bible says that if, if you seek him, you will find him. That as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So please, like, understand, like, this space is not just for Christians, all right? This is for, for everyone and anyone because you are all welcome here and we love you, okay? But I do want to let you know that, that if you're trying to, to live a, a good life, like if you're trying to, to live your life and just like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do good things, and, and God is love, he's, he's going to just like be like, yeah, you're pretty good. Like, come on into heaven, you know? Uh, that, that's, that's actually dangerous thinking. Uh, it, it's, it's just really dangerous. And in fact, like I've got to tell you guys this because, because God loves you and I love you, is that it's actually offensive to God if we believe that we can be good enough to get into heaven. And I know that sounds kind of crazy at first because, you know, we're used to, like, what TV shows tell us. And, you know, like, we're used to thinking, like, no, like, if I'm good enough, like, you know, there's the good people, there's the bad people. And it's like, no. In fact, the Bible makes it pretty clear that, like, we're all bad and sometimes we, we kind of just, like, do good things on accident. Is kind of, like, what, what happens. Uh, so... So the reason that this thought is offensive to God is because it's, it's a religious thought, all right? Religion is, is man's attempts to try to make 
their way to God. And what happens when you you get in this type of religious attitude is it leaves us with self-righteousness and it leaves us with, with pride, which God is offended by, right? He, he actually resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, is what the Bible says. And it, it, that this thought also believes that in our sinful, broken state, in the midst of our rebellion, that I can still do enough good to, to gain God's favor somehow or to gain his love. But yet God is offended at that because he gives his love freely. And it can't be earned. Sometimes people think that, you know, if they do enough good, it will outweigh the bad in their life. And like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to just do good things once in a while. I'm going to try to attain this. And, and sure, I've done some wrong things. Everybody has. Nobody's perfect. And, and God will just be like, hey, like, your good outweighs the bad. Come on in. Come hang out with me forever. But that's, that's actually also offensive to God because that's basically accusing him of being an unjust judge. That's saying, like, like he's going to, like, imagine if, like, a murderer went to the courthouse before the judge, right? He's absolutely proven guilty of murder, but he's like, you know, judge, I served in a soup kitchen last weekend. What do you say you let me walk? Right? Like, that would be completely unjust to the victim and their family, right? If that judge was just like, yeah, sounds good. Like, they're trying to do good things. Like, that would be unjust for that judge to do. So, so believing that is actually accusing God or believing that he would be unjust, which he would not be. So, the, the other problem is that it, it banks on the idea that God is love, which good news, he is love, all right? He absolutely is love, but that's not his only characteristic. That's not his only personality trait. He's got more depth than that. There's so much more to him, and in fact, the Bible spends a lot of time talking about how God is righteous, and God is holy, and God is just. So God is not just defined by this one characteristic of love, and and it's dangerous to think that he's all loving, he's just going to you know, just everyone gets to go sort of thing. And, and the reason I think this is like probably the most offensive thought to God is, is that if we can be good enough or if our good outweighs the bad or if God's just loving enough that all of us get to go and be with him forever, that means that Jesus wasted his death. It means that Jesus' death on the cross, the agony that he suffered was useless. Because the night before Jesus died, I don't know if you know this, but he was praying in the garden, just pleading with God. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, right? I don't want to go through this. Is there any other way? And he's basically saying to God, can there be any other way for mankind to be reconciled, that they could be reunited with God? Is there any alternative route that we could do that there's a possible outcome? Because this is really hard, and I don't, I don't want to do this in this moment. And what Jesus ends up praying, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And the next day, he dies on the cross. So, so it would basically be saying like his, his death was wasted if we can just be good enough on our own. That would basically be saying, like, God just didn't answer Jesus' prayer and just, like, yeah, just go die, but there is another way. I just didn't feel like telling you about it. Like, how cruel would that be? <laughs> like, what? Like, what, did, what was the whole point of Jesus coming then? 
But the good news is, although these things are found offensive to God, God finds so much joy in displaying his love to all of us. Right? God, God just displayed all of who he is and how Christ lived his life on this earth. And Christ displayed the attributes of what the, what the Bible calls as the invisible God. Right? He is the image of the invisible God. So when you think about God, if you think about him as like some angry dude in the sky that makes rules, think about Jesus. That's the one we should think of when we think about God because Jesus represented the Father in every way. And in fact, the Bible says he never did anything apart from the Father. He said that he and the Father are one. So, so when we think of God, we should think about the, the compassion that Jesus had and the way Jesus acted and the people that Jesus reached and that he, he was... He was just all about loving people and loving us. And that's how Jesus feels about us. So, so please don't leave here today thinking like, all right, here's five things I want to do with my life that's going to make my life better. Because yes, if you, if you start applying some of these things, your life will be more, you'll find more satisfaction, you'll find more joy, and you'll find, you know, you're less stress, and, and you'll just have more purpose in the way you live. But at the end of the day, you'll still end up empty because you're missing the point. You're trying to, to earn it on your own. So these things that we are putting on are things we put on as sons and daughters of God. All right? Because we're already established with him. We've, we've got the connection. All right? We've already been adopted, as that song said, into his family. All right? And because of that, he makes available to us this wardrobe of things that we can put on. All right, so, so what does this mean to, to put on? So think about, right, if we've been adopted into his kingdom, all right, he is our father. He is the king supreme over all the universe, and we are now his children. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ. The inheritance that Jesus deserves, he decided to share freely with all of us. So, so we are children of the king we are princes and princesses of God Almighty. So when we put these things on, it merely means that we are putting on kind of like these royal robes. We're putting on this crown. We're putting on these things. We're acting in a way that represents who we are. So it's a matter of just walking out in the role that God has already given us is what this is about. So it's not about trying to earn his love, earn his favor, because we already have that completely and it's because we're his kids that we can wear these things. So, so trying to wear these things while not being part of the royal family, right? Like if I just like got a tour out in England and like went to the palace and I was like, wow, crown jewels, this is great. Like, right, I, they would be mad about that, right? I couldn't just be like, I decree and like start making laws, like, because that's not how it works, Right? I would be an imposter pretending to be the royal family, that, and no one's going to fall for it. So trying to do these things, it would be in vain. It would essentially make us imposters. So that's why it's important that we get the right connection with God first, that we've, we've received this relationship, received his love and his forgiveness first, so we're not trying to do it out of our own strength. Because religion typically is, is really interested in the outward appearance. Religion is interested in like, I'm going to, you know, do the right things and say the right things and, and people will think, wow, Brian is so humble. 
You know, or like, wow, look at Brian. He's so religious. He can pray forever. You know, or like, like, and Jesus dealt with it in his day. The, the Pharisees were this religious elite group. And they were so caught up in, in the law of God and, and doing everything a certain way where, where they would like, you know, stand on the street corner in their fancy robes and just like pray long prayers to be seen. They would have trumpets blown when they'd given to the offering, like, like, look what I'm, I'm giving to the poor. <laughs> you like, and they'd just be boasting and like, it's just self-righteousness and it made Jesus sick. Like he, he just was disgusted by that sort of behavior. So, so God doesn't want us to be religious. And in fact, Jesus referred to them one day, he compared them to a whitewashed tomb. He said that, it's like if I went out to the cemetery and painted a gravestone all white, and, and he says, you look good on the outside, but inside you're, you're full of death, right? In another spot in the Bible, it says that, you know, you say the right things, but your hearts are far from me. And that's what God is interested in. He's interested in, in relationship. So we don't want to just put on a show of trying to act religious because that's, that's offensive to God. But, but God gives us this wardrobe to wear as his sons and daughters. In fact, even think about back in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve first fell, God was the one that sought them out saying, Adam, where are you? Right? God wanted to reestablish that relationship. And in fact, you might remember this, that, that Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked, right? They like suddenly like realized, whoa, like what happened? Like uh, they realized that all in that moment. And, and who clothed them? It was God. God was the first one in the Bible and in history to ever kill anything. He killed an animal and took its skins to make clothing for them. He provided the wardrobe for them. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, right, the Bible says that the saints, which this is a word for believers, all right, it's not, we're not saints because we earned it on our own, it's because Jesus earned it for us, but it says that the Bible, uh, that the saints are clothed in righteousness, all right. In Corinthians, it talks about that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So in Christ, we are just clothed in righteousness. And that perhaps is why Adam and Eve recognized their nakedness in that, in that moment, because they lost their righteousness in their moment of disobedience. And then they had to be clothed with an alternative. And God spends the rest of the Old Testament up to Jesus in just like a rescue mission trying to reestablish relationship with mankind. And that's what he pursues. So, with all of that said, what do we put on? We put on compassionate hearts. We need to be moved with compassion. We need to care and love our neighbor. All right? We need to just be filled with compassion because I know sometimes some Christians fall into this category of becoming religious and they're so focused on the law and doing the right things and the truth that they no longer care for the people that they're supposed to love. And we don't want to become like that. We want to be filled with compassion. So at times we can be so focused on the truth of God and be like, but this is true. This is so important. And yes, the truth sets us free and it is important, but we don't want to just trade that and forget about love. We need to be moved with compassion. Our motivation should be such that we are sympathetic to the hurt and the need of the people around us. An interesting thing about Jesus, the way he lived his life, he never did a selfish miracle. 
He never performed a miracle for himself. Right? And if, in fact, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, he said, because Jesus was fasting, like, you're, you're going to be hungry. Why don't you turn that bread, you know, that stone to bread and eat it? Right? And he didn't do it. Right? Jesus was always about serving other people. Or when he was dying on the cross, or when he was being captured and arrested, right, he said that he could call down legions of angels if he wanted to easily just rescue him. Right? He easily could have just walked out of those situations, but he chose to die, right? Because he loved us. So he never did something selfishly, and he was always, the things he did do, whether preaching or healing or or feeding, it was because he was moved with compassion, the Bible says. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 14, 14, he says, when he came, uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15 says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been now with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. In dealing with two blind men, it says in Matthew 20, And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Jesus acted based on his compassion. Jesus acted based on his compassion, so we likewise should care. Just to bring some balance to this truth, because our modern culture values love beyond truth, and it is a balance. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that we need to speak the truth in love. All right, so both things are important. It's a, it's a both-and situation. And our culture values love, but less truth, right? Like, it doesn't matter if, like, I'm right, you're wrong. It doesn't matter if we disagree. But as long as we love each other, everything's great. And, and the problem with that is that we sacrifice the truth of God. And we don't, we don't want to fall into that place. As, as a math teacher, like, what if a kid came up to me and, and he did all his work and it was all wrong and I didn't tell him? And I was like... Yep, looks great. And then I just let him go on to the test this Friday and fail it. And like, judgment's coming, but I'm not going to tell you that you did any of this wrong. I'm not going to help you in showing you how to do it the right way. That would be cruel. That would be unloving if I don't speak the truth at all. And that's why it's both and. You have to speak the truth in love. The motivation is of compassion and of, of care for the other person. So we must ensure that we don't only slide into just caring and not speaking the truth or just into speaking the truth and caring about the law while not caring for other people. The the next thing we need to put on is kindness, is what this verse says, kindness. And this is actually useful kindness, kindness that leads to action, all right, applicable kindness. So we, we are to be kind and avoid harshness, I think would be the opposite of that. In, in uh, Katie and my, our first year of, of marriage, uh, we went to this Bible study one night, and there was this guy there. He came over and prayed for us, and I'd known him for a long time. And, and while he was praying, he said, God, uh, establish kindness in their hearts towards one another. And he spoke into our lives and actually tweaked and corrected this thing in us because, right, we were still saying all the right things and doing all the right things, but our words had ended up gaining an edge to them. Like, yeah, I'll do the dishes. 
You know, like, eh, like, you said the right thing, but there was just like an edge to it. So it's important that we have kindness towards one another, that our, our words are seasoned with grace, is what the Bible says, that we, the, that we act out in this kindness. So, and I don't know if you realize this, but God is kind. All of these attributes describe God. God is kind because he made us, he provides for us, he heals us, he saves us. God is kind. The next thing is, is humility. I think I said it earlier, but the Bible says that, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. All right, humble is recognizing our failures, recognizing when we're weak, or not boasting in ourselves and bragging on our accomplishments. So we need to be humble. Uh, humility is, is thinking more highly of others rather than ourselves and valuing other people rather than ourselves. I don't know about you guys, but usually my most embarrassing moments are when I've been in pride. Right? My first year teaching, uh, I'd set up all these PowerPoints and I had like animations that would come in and slowly teach the math one step after the other. And I was like all excited about it. And the superintendent came and talked to me one day at like, like some workshop lunch thing. And he's like, hey, I'm going to come by your classroom later this week. And I was like, wow, he's coming by to check out my PowerPoints. And I went and talked to like this other new teacher. And I was like, I think he's coming by to check out my cool PowerPoints that I made. And they're like, no, he's coming by to check. Like he's going to be in everyone's classes this week. He's just going to be like walking through. And it's like, oh, like, all right. You know, like, and, and because like I had like this little bit of pride, like I was more susceptible to an embarrassing moment. It's kind of like, you know, when you see someone wave at you, you're like, hey, hey. And then like you realize like they're waving at somebody. You know? <laughs> like, like it's that sort of thing. Like being humble is a good thing. It's good for us. And, and in fact, I'm sure you guys know uh, uh, someone in your life that's, that's really humble. And it is just the sweetest Thing. There is something so beautiful about a humble person. There's something so beautiful about that. The next thing that we need to put on is meekness. And meekness, is actually, even in like dictionaries, it's like someone who's uh, you know, not assertive and they're like overly submissive. They kind of describe it as almost like being a coward. But it does say in, in dictionaries that like there's an older meaning of the word that means gentleness. And that's what the Bible's referring to as being gentle. All right, meekness is, is having strength, but using it limited for the sake of others. All right, like, uh, no one's impressed with how powerfully you can open a bag of potato chips, right? Like, like, it's like, you just ruined my potato chips. Like, what was the point of that, right? Like, it's, like you're not showing off when you do that. Like, it's more valuable to, to control your strength and be gentle, and that's the way we need to be, right? So being meek. Meekness can also mean like not fighting back and choosing to submit. All right? So that, that could mean, uh, you know, maybe, you're, maybe you are smarter than your boss, but you still choose to submit and listen to what they have to say. You know, or maybe you're more talented and, and you're working with someone, but you still are meek and you're not bragging and boasting on what you can do and you still, you want to hear what, what input they have. Jesus is the ultimate example of meekness because God is powerful. He is all powerful. Yet Jesus, he didn't just like come on this earth like, kabam, like I'm God, right? Like he didn't do that. He came how? As a baby, right? A lot of like Christian creeds say like that, you know, Jesus came as a man and died on the cross, but he didn't even come as a man. He came as a baby in a poor family, right? In a manger, 
Jesus is the ultimate example of meekness where he set aside his power to come and live among us, right? To demonstrate his love for us. So we need to be meek in, in our dealings with, with each other and as, as well as people like who might not be as far as us as far as Jesus is, right? Like they might not, you know, who cares? Like, I know a lot about the Bible. Like, so what? The Pharisees, they had to like memorize the Bible by the time they were 13 years old and they completely missed the whole big idea. They missed it, right? So, so it's, it's just like, listen, set that aside, meet people where they are. Right? Be willing to, to, you know, set aside your pride, set aside your strength, and to be gentle. The last thing is patience. Patience. So we need to be patient in our circumstances, right? When, when things are going crazy, we just need to be patient, right? And I thought about this, like, if I'm like, oh, man, I don't get paid again until Thursday, like, and I'm all impatient about, oh, man, pay- paycheck, I need this money, right? Like, the impatient person and the patient person both have to wait the same amount of time for that to come, right? It, being impatient isn't helping it get here any faster, and in fact, it's just like wasting a lot of energy and mental anxiety and stress just being impatient, and, and then when we do have some degree of control over our circumstances, impatience can, can be dangerous because it'll lead us to making really poor decisions. The Bible is actually full of situations where people weren't patient and then in their own strength try to do things their own way and it just messes everything up bad. All right, it makes things really complicated. So being able to be patient just means like, all right, like, you know, because we're still the chosen of God. We're still beloved. We're still holy. So it's like just trusting like my father, he's got this under control. Like I don't have to panic. I don't have to freak out. So we should, we should be patient with ourselves because I know sometimes like I can get frustrated like, man, I wish I was better at saving or I wish I was more, you know, responsible in this way or I wish I was, you know, didn't struggle with pride or whatever it is. Like we wish like we were further along, but like we can just be patient with ourselves. And just let the Holy Spirit do the work of sanctifying us, of making us more like God. And just let him do that and just, just fall in love with God, spend time with him, and he'll take care of the rest, right? It's not something like, we, oh, I gotta get this all figured out. Like, no, just, we can be patient. And then we have to be patient with other people, and we'll actually cover this next week because the next few verses talk about this, being patient towards others. Right? We need to be patient with our brothers and sisters. We need to be patient with people who don't know Jesus or trust Jesus yet because you know, they, they just don't have a reason to trust him yet. They need to figure out who he is first. So we need patience. And God is actually extremely patient with us. God is so patient with all of us. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the reason that Jesus hasn't come back to establish his kingdom is because he's patient. It's because he doesn't want to come so early that some people miss out on the opportunity to know him. Right? It said that God is wishing that none should perish. Like, if God had, had it his way, 100%, every person would get to be with him forever because he loves us all that much. And so the broken relationship isn't on God's part. It's, 
It can only be on our end because he's already done everything he could to make it available to us. So the point of dying on the cross and offering forgiveness and salvation for free. See, the band guys, you guys can come up. And so I want us to just think that all of these characteristics are ones that God has. All of them. But I want us to think for a minute (coughs) about one of them, which is kindness. Why is God kind to us? Why is God kind to me? Because although God is love and, and it's just part of his nature to be kind, he actually does have a purpose and an intent for his kindness. And the Bible actually says this in Romans 2, verses 4 through 5. And this is just like, wow. Uh, It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance, which means patient, self-control, restraint, and tolerance, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness has a purpose. He's showing his love to us. He's reaching out to us in a way that is loving because he wants to to bring us to the point of repentance. Repentance just means to change your mind or to turn from the lifestyle, the way of of living our lives and our own morals and our own ways of doing things and just saying, God, you've got this. Please help me. That's what repentance is. Acknowledging what our sin is. And this 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 is heavy, guys, but... But God loves you, I love you, and I've got to tell you this. Yeah, God is kind, and it says in verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, meaning not feeling shame or regret, all right, unapologetic, remorseless, it says you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So God has made a way available. He is kind, he is loving, but there... For some of us, that kindness has a timeline, a deadline to it, that if we don't get in relationship with him, we've been storing up wrath for ourselves. And it's a lot worse than having a stack of parking tickets. All right? Like, you don't want to go there to him and be like, yeah, but I can pay this much because it's nothing compared to the cost that we've accrued. And, and the good news is that Jesus has already paid them all off and you just have to like, you know, get them to sign your paperwork sort of thing. It's like, oh, you can take care of all of this? It's so good. So, so don't, don't leave here thinking about God's kindness and just being like, yeah, God's kind, God's loving. He'll, he'll just let me into heaven because God wants a relationship with you now. Not just forever, but now through forever. So... Take this time during these next songs and just search your heart. Don't presume on God's kindness, all right? If, if you aren't there yet, right, just, just seek God. And you might not be there to make this decision. So understand, I don't want to pressure you to like, today, like, because it takes time. And God is patient. But at least start down that path. Start investigating. Start finding out who God is because I got to tell you, he is amazing. He is so amazing. So yeah, take time to pray during the song. Worship God, enjoy his presence because all of those attributes describe him. And he wants us as his children to, to become like our dad, right? We, we take after the nature of our father. And that's what he wants in us. 
So let's pray. Uh, you guys can play, actually.